Uh, Proverbs chapter 29. And tonight I want to talk about, you know, the title of my message is, Who Should I Vote For This Year? Okay, so we are in an election year. Uh, primaries are going on right now. Everybody's talking about, you know, who to vote for. A lot of arguing and stuff going on. And right now, too, I guess one of the things that got me looking at these things in the Bible, there's a lot of pressure right now uh, from other preachers encouraging other pastors to, you know, endorse Ted Cruz. And, you know, I've just, I'm just going to come out and admit it right now. I kind of like Ted Cruz, but I'm not going to endorse him. There's no way. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about the guy. And uh, I find it interesting. One of the things the media, news media wants to talk about with him all the time is what he looks like. You know, they're always showing pictures of him next to Grandpa Munster pictures or uh, Mr. Bean. And it's like, you know, if that's all you got on the guy, that's pretty good. You know, I don't care what he looks like. You know, I care about the person. But uh, when I first, you know, was encouraged to endorse him, I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. That doesn't even seem like the right thing to do. And then I've been listening to a lot of these preachers just singing his praises like you wouldn't believe. I mean, just talking about you know what a champion of the faith he is and a defender of our liberty and just making a huge deal about a man. And that's what elections are. They're all about the man, right? Or women too. we got Hillary in this race too, right? So it's all about the person. Let's be politically correct right now. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think that our, the most Christians and definitely most Americans' mindsets are completely wrong when it comes to politicians. And we're going to look and see what the Bible has to say. And I think it will kind of maybe help us figure out who we should vote for. Because, you know, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not one of these that thinks I just don't vote. Okay? Listen, I do. I think a lot of these elections are rigged. I think a lot of this stuff is scripted. I, I, I do not trust the system at all. But I still am going to vote because there's a lot of people in office that I don't like, and I want to vote against them. And it makes me feel good. And <laughs> it might not help one bit. I voted in the last election, and I was in the minority in every single issue but one for this area. There were things I voted for that for the state, uh, you know, I might have been on the same page, but I was in the mi- and for this area, I was in the minority on every single issue, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> and I'm very proud of that, and I'm going to shoot for that again in the next election. But anyway, we're going to look at Proverbs 29. Before I get into the main part of the message, we're going to look at some verses in here that I think are, I think all the politicians should have to memorize Proverbs chapter 29 before they can take any office at all. Now, chances of that happening are pretty slim. I'm not going to hold my breath. But here's some real good things in here I want to, I want to show you. But verse 1 says, He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I think our country needs to remember this. I think we've had plenty of opportunities to see we're going the wrong way. I think God has warned us. I think we've been reproved, and we've continued to harden our neck. And eventually, I believe we can be destroyed. And that without remedy. I know this applies, I believe this applies to individuals. I believe it applies to nations too. And then the next verse says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth the rule, the people mourn. And I've done a lot of mourning in the last several years. Okay? Because the wicked are definitely in rule. Uh, verse 4 The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. Okay, now listen, I'm not going to get up here and endorse a candidate. But when I look at these passages, I actually think about certain candidates and I say, score one for them. And you know, verse 4, you know who scores a point from this verse? Donald Trump. Now, I don't like Donald Trump, okay? I don't think he'll be a good president. However, no, the king by judgment establishes the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. How do these guys get in office? It's all about who gives the money, right? And, you know, in the primary, I know a lot of the money comes from, you know, regular individual donors and things like that. But when it comes, when they finally nominate somebody, okay, whoever it is in the Republican end, the Republican National Committee, they're going to put all their money on that person. And then they are going to be beholden to that committee. And I'm telling you right now, the Republican National Committee is corrupt, it's dirty, it's trash, 
it's everything bad you can say about it, and the Democrats are just they're a whole lot worse. <laughs> and so just remember that, and they will they'll be beholden. Where Donald Trump, at least he's spending his own money. So I don't know who's going to tell him what to do if he wins. I was telling my wife, I said, you know what's going to be funny? Usually when politicians, after they win elections, they get up and they give this speech thanking the people. You all did this, people. Thank you. You all are wonderful. This is your victory today. When really what they should be doing is thanking all their donors. You know, thank you big money that you know that gave me the money for all these commercials to deceive everybody and to trick everybody. Well, Donald Trump, if he was honest when he got up there, he'll be thanking himself. And you know what? I could picture him doing that. <laughs> I just want to thank me right now. It was my money that got me here. It was my message. It was my personality. I could picture it. <laughs> and, and I'm telling you, I, I, I respect people that tell the truth. And even though I don't like a lot of what he says, I believe him. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, score one for him. But, uh, but those who do, when you do, when you receive gifts from somebody, you get bought off by these people. And they are. They're all bought off by somebody and they're destroying our country, you know, trying to, Pander to these special interest groups. Verse 5, A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. Well, what do these politicians do? They go around flattering everybody, telling them how wonderful they are. And some of these politicians too, man, they're flattering a lot of these preachers. They're telling them you know, how great they are and how they listen to them and how they care what they say and how they agree with them. Why do they do that? That way these preachers will all go back and tell their congregations, vote for this guy. And I'm telling you right now too, I, you know, like with the case of Ted Cruz, I think a lot of Baptist preachers have helped him very much, especially in Iowa. But if he wins the nomination, I have ever, I, I, I can guarantee you, he will forget those guys real quick. I, that's just the way it works. No, he wouldn't do that. If he wins the nomination, he will forget those groups real quick. All the news media has to do is start playing some of their clips of their sermons where they're preaching against homosexuals, and he will distance himself from those guys so fast it's not even funny. And oh, I don't think he went well. You just wait and see. Verse, look at verse 7. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. Okay, A good politician, a good king, they do. They care about the poor. They think about the poor. And... Uh, verse 8, scornful men bring a city into a snare, but wise men turn away wrath. Okay, we got a lot of our politicians seem like they like talking about war a little too much. They're always too anxious to get and fight with other countries. And you know what? I wouldn't have a problem with it if they were on the front lines fighting themselves, but they're not the ones fighting, are they? It's other people. Uh, verse 9, if a wise man contendeth with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. And there's a lot of contention going on with, with foolish people. Uh, verse 10, The bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Some of these politicians, they get in a lot of trouble because they do. They just start running their mouth. And it's like, you should have just shut up on that one. <laughs> it was, uh, you should have said, I pass, but they end up making themselves look stupid. If a ruler hearken to lies... All his servants are wicked. You hear that one? If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. If a ruler is listening to lies and he gets his people to do stuff based on those lies, the Bible says his servants are wicked. So what if we go to war for unjust reasons? Well, it's not you know, it's not the soldiers, it's it's the person in charge's fault. Well, that's not what the Bible says right there. So I think we ought to care about that very much. Okay, If you're thinking about going into the military or something, you ought to think about who the commander-in-chief is and who the people are running the show. And if the commander-in-chief is wicked, what does that say right there? I don't like that. Well, there's a lot of stuff people don't like in the Bible, but you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. But anyway, the king, verse 14, "...the king that faithfully judgeth the poor, his throne shall be established forever." And, you know, our politicians talk a lot about doing things for the poor, but at the same time, you are not helping the poor by just giving them handouts all the time. That has destroyed cultures. It has destroyed people. Our welfare system is a joke, and it is ruining lives. You know, why is it that me as a working individual, I can't afford drugs, I can't afford to smoke, I can't afford to drink, I can't afford any of those things, but people on welfare can do every one of those things? And you know what? That's why they can do it. 
because of that. And they're just enabling things. It's ridiculous. Verse 16, When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. And transgression is greatly growing. Uh, verse 18, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law... Happy, see, we don't have time to expound on all these. Verse 20, these are just kind of all the ones I think would be a good one for politicians to know. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. I say, minus one for Donald Trump there. He gets it. But, uh, verse 22, an angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. You, when you're mad, you're usually going to do the wrong thing. Okay, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The politician that's just angry all the time, worry about that guy. Verse 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Verse 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. You know why people pander to these politicians? While preachers walk around, you know, kissing the feet of these politicians. You know why they do that? Because they're hoping they can score some points with these guys and maybe somewhere down the road, if they need their help, they'll get it. But you know what the Bible says? Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. It's God that's going to make sure you're taken care of. It's God that's going to make sure things are fair for you. A politician is not capable of making things fair for you. God will do that. Don't go to the politician. Vote for the guy that you think is going to be the most fair. I think you know, I'll get a fair shake from this guy. You go to God for that. He'll take care of you. Verse 27, An unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in his way is an abomination to the wicked. I find that interesting because we find the homosexual crowd to be an abomination. And they feel the same way about us, don't we? I mean, it, and I, you know, Proverbs 29, a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, I think that... Help us think politically, okay? So after reading all that, you know, if I were to ask you, you know, who do I want to see as the next president of the United States? Out of the remaining candidates, okay? Out of the people that are running right now. And I'll be honest, I will say that right now, if I'm voting tomorrow, I would vote for Ted Cruz. But I say that with the same attitude. If you ask me who do I want to win the World Series this year, I would say the Chicago Cubs. I prefer that they win it. I would like to see them win it. I would like to see I would like to see Ted Cruz win. I would love to see Hillary lose. I would love that. That would I would enjoy that greatly. I would love to see a conservative Republican win. Not because I think it would be so great for the country, but because I would love to watch the news media just throw a fit. I would love that. I want to see that. I want to watch them cry. I want to see Rachel Maddow just foaming at the mouth, throwing a fit when she's covering that stuff on election night. I want to see that because I can't stand her. And so I do. I, I, I pick him. Okay? So does that mean you think he's going to be great for this country? He's going to fix this problem. But you know, the truth is, I believe, and I think you'll see this after we look at the Scriptures tonight, that... Whether it's Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton, I don't believe either of those two make the difference one bit. What happens in this country is not dependent on whether we get Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton, whether we get a Republican or a Democrat. And I think it's foolish for us to even think that way. I think it's foolish for us to get all caught up into these things, invest a ton of time into it, emotion, and money. Okay? I mean, don't. Go on Ted Cruz's website and sign up for his email. You get like three or four a day asking for money on every one of them. Three or four a day asking for money. And I like them, but I haven't given them any money. I want the Cubs to win the World Series, but I'm not going to send them money so they can pay their players more and get the good ones. I'm not going to do that. You know, they're on their own. They can figure it out. But look, look what the you know, Proverbs 21 Verse 1, you know, how can you come to that conclusion that it doesn't make a difference if it's Ted Cruz or Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? How can you come to that? The truth is we shouldn't be looking to politicians for answers because they are not the ones in control. What happens in this country has nothing to do with the politicians. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Did you all see that? Okay, and 
Well, it would be easier for God to turn Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton, right? Because Ted Cruz is saved and there's no way Hillary is saved, right? Okay, and you're not supposed to question people's faith. You know, we learned that this week. Uh, but uh, I question her faith. But anyway, no, do you think God's going to be like, I can handle Ted Cruz, but I can't handle Hillary Clinton. You, you think God can't handle her? Do you think she is any match for God? Yeah, yeah Jezebel. Yeah, and I've thought about her, Hillary, quite a bit when I've read about Jezebel. It's just it's, that's happened more than once when I've read her story. But anyway, God is the one that's in control. He turns their hearts. Okay, we we think it's the leaders, but it's not. God's the one that's in control. Politicians are nothing. They're nothing. Look at go to Daniel chapter four, and we covered this this morning in Sunday school. But look at Daniel chapter four. If this doesn't make it clear, I don't know what else. I don't know what else to show you. Politicians are nothing. I don't believe there is. I think. I think arguably Nebuchadnezzar was probably the most powerful leader that has there has ever been. I mean, he was literally the king of the world. We look at that today, uh, this morning in Sunday school. There's never been somebody more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar, and he was as wicked as all get out. I mean, he was wicked. And you remember he had that dream, and then verse 16 says, Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know, that the living may know. Okay, God wanted people to know that the, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. Did you all see that? God rules in the kingdom of men. Not Barack Obama. Not Hillary Clinton. Not Ted Cruz. God rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomsoever He will. The question is not, you know, who, you know, should I vote for? The question is, who does God want to be in office? And it would be, oh, God would never want Hillary to be in office. God would let Nebuchadnezzar be in office. God allowed Jezebel to be the queen. I mean, God, He picks them. And one thing we see about Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have time to go into a lot of the passages in the Old Testament, but you realize that it was God that raised up the Chaldeans. It was God that raised up Nebuchadnezzar. God raised them up. God had a plan for them. God wanted them to deal with Israel. God wanted Nebuchadnezzar in charge. And Nebuchadnezzar did a lot of bad things, but and he did a lot of horrible things to Israel. But you know what? Israel deserved it, didn't they? And yes... Some of these leaders might be wicked, and it would be easy to say, no, God would not want them to be our leaders, but here's the that they might be what we need. They might be exactly what we've been asking for, and we have a just God, and you know what? I mean, if we get Hillary, you know what I'm going to be? I mean, I'm going to be asking God for mercy. Because <laughs> I think that's a pretty good uh, reflection of what we, you know, if she's what we deserve, we're in trouble. And. Honestly, when I, from my finite abilities, you know, I don't see everything. I don't see the whole world. But when I look at our country, and I judge our, and I, me as an unrighteous judge, judge our country, I actually think the one that we're probably going to get, and the one that we probably deserve, is Donald Trump. We are a nation obsessed by reality TV and reality TV stars. Uh, you know, he, we, we are a foul mouth society. People always talking about his foul mouth. Well, you know, that's not going to hurt him in the election. Most people out there today are using profanity. They don't care. He's a great reflection of most of our society, except he's got money and we don't. <laughs> but, uh, but he is. I think he's, I think he's who we deserve, and I think he's probably who we're going to get, unless God is merciful to us, unless we can get, you know, we can as a nation get right with God, and He can cause somebody to rise up that uh, is good. But um, look at verse 29 of Daniel chapter 4. So God, He puts the basest of men, okay? 
He said he, he puts the basis of men there. Nebuchadnezzar, while he was probably the most powerful man that ever lived, he was only in that position because God put him there. God gave him the heart of a beast. He lived like a beast for seven years, and then God put him right back in power. Why? Because God's in charge. Nebuchadnezzar did not get there because he was Nebuchadnezzar. It was because God put him there. God takes the basis of men. Whoever becomes the president, they don't get there because... They're so special and great. They are who God wants to use. And then verse 29 says, At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, and he spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? He just starts praising himself. Look at all that I have done. And while it was word was yet in his mouth, the Lord told him, You're in trouble. He gave him the heart of a beast. And for seven years he lived like an animal. And after those seven years, we see that you know God gave him his reasoning back. God restored the kingdom to him. And he said I, um, in verse 35, um, well, sorry, verse 34, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from generation to generation. We can't say this God ruling in the kingdoms of men was just back then. Right here it says it's from generation to generation. He's still ruling in the kingdoms of men. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? And at the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. God can handle any of these politicians that we get in there. He can handle any of them. You know why? Because they are nothing. They are absolutely nothing. After this time, if you go over into the book of Ezra, okay, the Medes and the Persians have taken over. We've got Artaxerxes that's in charge. We don't have time to read through it, but read Exodus chapter 7. And the Lord put it in His heart, in this wicked king's heart, to let them go back to Israel and rebuild their temple, repair their walls. God did that in His heart. And if you go back and you read that, uh, in Ezra chapter 7, you see Israel humbling themselves. You see them calling out to God. And when they did that, God said, okay, I will let you all go back. You all can get your temple fixed up. And God just he put it in the heart of Artaxerxes. And, he, you know, and Ezra said, Blessed be the Lord God that had put such a thing as this into the king's heart to beautify the temple. God put that in his heart. Why would a wicked king like that think of that? That's not something he would come up with. And he didn't come up with that. God put it in his heart. We could get rid of abortion tomorrow. Okay? If, as a nation, we deserve that. If, as a nation, if we would turn to God... He could turn Obama's heart in that area. It does, even if we have Republican or Democrat-controlled, you know, President, Senate, Congress, you know, Obama gets another liberal judge on the Supreme Court. We could get rid of that if, as a people, we would get right with God, call out God, and He could change their heart. But we, what have we done to ask for that? We're not calling out to God. For these things, Ezra didn't pray to God or to Archaxerxes. Ezra didn't pray, or the people of Israel didn't pray to Archaxerxes. They prayed to God, and God put it in the king's heart. And as a nation, we need to start calling out to these politics, stop calling out to these politicians, and start calling out to God. And then maybe we would actually see something happen. Politicians are nothing. And I know, I know they're charismatic. I know some of them are slick. Man, that Marco Rubio, that guy can memorize lines like you wouldn't believe. I mean, that guy's like a, like a robot, man. You know, as soon as they ask a question, boy, he just immediately rattles it out and he's good at speaking. Man, he's slick. You know, he's got the smile. He's got the looks. He's got the charisma. And he, he's going to be the new establishment guy now that Bush is out. And maybe, maybe he'll defeat Trump. I don't know. I really don't care. I don't like him either. <laughs> and, 
He's nothing. I don't care how much he can memorize. I don't care how good he is at talking. I don't care how articulate he is. He's not going to change a thing. He's nothing. He's not going to be the one in control. And we've we've just got to understand that. You know, and nations. Okay, it was like, well, you know, as America, you know, we've got to, you know, we've got to, you know, we've got to be strong as a nation. We got to get Donald Trump so he can make America great again. You know, we got to get Ted Cruz because he and or Marco Rubio. They're talking about you know building up the the military so we can have a strong military. But look at Isaiah chapter forty. Let's look at what Isaiah chapter forty has to say. You know, we think we're so great as as Americans. We think we're so big and so powerful and so strong. We've got the strongest military in the world. Well, you know what? The strongest militaries in the world and in the Bible times got defeated by God all the time, didn't they? We see that happening all the time. It doesn't matter what kind of military we have. It's all about God. Isaiah 40, verse 15 says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as small dust of the balance. Behold, He taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts are sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before Him are as nothing. They are counted to Him less than nothing and vanity. You all see that? I know we love to sing, I'm proud to be an American. Why? We're less than nothing, the Bible says. Less than nothing. Our nation is nothing. America is nothing. If God decides He's done with America, we could be finished just like that tomorrow. I don't care who's in charge. I don't care what our military looks like. It wouldn't, and it wouldn't take much to destroy our country. Our country is so weak and so pathetic, all somebody has to do is take out the power grid and most of our country is dead tomorrow because they can't eat at McDonald's. That quick. Most of our country completely loses it mentally because they have no television and cell phones anymore. They're done for. I mean, you talk about a zombie apocalypse. Our country would literally turn into zombies because people can't go get all their medications and stuff anymore and they're going to go crazy and people are going to be shooting each other up. That could happen tomorrow if God let it. We have no idea how vulnerable we are and how weak we are as a nation. I mean, we're, we're pathetic. We really are. We ought to, when we look at our nation, it ought to cause us as believers to say, Lord, have mercy. Call out on God. Don't go looking and thinking these politicians are going to fix it. They can't fix it. If our us as a people remain as wicked as we are, there's nothing they can do. Our God is holy. He's just. He's going to deal with us. Our nations are less than nothing. God defeated the armies of the Assyrians and King Sennacherib that we read about in Isaiah. God defeated them. There was no way Israel should have been able to defeat that army. And the truth is they didn't. God defeated them. God fought that battle. Israel constantly won battles that were impossible to win when they looked to God. And they were defeated by weaker armies when they turned away from God. If you go into the book of Habakkuk, and chapter 1, God talks about how He was raising up the Chaldeans. He said, and He said, Behold ye among the heathen. He's like, I'm going to deal with you, Israel. Behold ye among the heathen. Look at the heathen. There's an army rising up out there. He said, I'm raising them up. I'm giving them their power and they're going to come and they're going to deal with you. And then I'm going to raise up another kingdom that's going to defeat them. I'm going to use that nation to punish you for being wicked. And because you're Israel, because you're My people, and they hurt you, I'm going to raise up another nation that's going to punish them. It's great great stuff. They're in the book of Habakkuk. It's a good one to read. But the truth is, it was never about the people. It was always about God. We are nothing. As Americans, we are nothing. Kings and presidents are not the ones running the show. We read that verse in Proverbs 21. You know that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever He will. See, the way it works, God is ultimately running everything. And when nations get out of line... God raises up wicked men to punish them. You know, God doesn't use us as believers. We are not, we have never been called to go and punish the world for things. That's not what we do. You know, we don't ever see in the New Testament, you know, God raising up an army in the church to go out and kill wicked people. God uses wicked people to kill wicked people. Okay? We, we need to understand that. And, you know, these leaders, they're not running the show. It's God. And it's sad because you would think as believers and you would think pastors especially 
we would know these things. But you know what? Sadly, you know, I hear a lot of pastors talking about being news junkies all the time. And you know, I'm trying to avoid the news as much as I can anymore because it makes me, it puts me in a bad mood. It's completely opposite of the verse in Philippians. You know, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are just. You know, think on these things. Well, you can't do that if you watch the news all the time. And these guys, they're all so anxious to be a part of this. You know, they and they're getting caught up in political movements that we shouldn't get caught up in. You know, they're all getting caught up in these elections. And endorsing candidates that I'm telling you, even even Ted Cruz, I believe if he gets an office, I don't think anything will change. If our country does not change, I do not think that we will take a different course than we are already on. So how can you think that way? Well, most Baptist preachers right now are admitting that George W. Bush was not a good president. But I was around back when he was running, and I remember them all supporting George W. Bush. I even voted for him. Okay, I learned my lesson. I said, no way for Jeff, just because he was a Bush. <laughs> I didn't even know anything about it. I was like, I'm not voting for another Bush. I did it twice, and I'm sad it took me two times to learn my lesson. But it's like they want you to forget that, but they, they get caught up in these political movements. And think about it. When George W. Bush became president, okay, you know, Republicans, they're supposed to be good. We had a Republican president. We had a Republican Senate and House. And what happened during his time? We lost more freedom during the George W. Bush presidency than I believe we have in the Obama presidency. Oh, it wasn't his fault. It was because of 9-11. You mean when we lost the war on terror in one day? Think about it. 9-11, and look at how much freedom we lost as a result of that. And supposedly the terrorists attacked us because they hate our freedom. Well, then they were successful, weren't they? Because we lost a bunch of it. I mean, you can't even go get on an airplane anymore without being molested by the TSA. And everybody's okay with that. We need them to protect us. We need our government to protect us. You know, they, they passed things like the Patriot Act. They got all these things through. They spent trillions on military to go fight a war that produced ISIS. Think about that. Look at the mess that we are in now because of something that started during his administration. Now, I'm not blaming George W. Bush. I'm saying our country stinks and we deserved every bit of that. And even though we had a Republican president, House and Senate, our country went downhill big time. Starting, well, it started before then. But we went downhill and then we got Obama in office and he had, you know, the Democrats said, and yeah, we lost a ton of freedom with Obama too. I mean, our Supreme Court ruled that we have to purchase a type of insurance. How, how can you rule that people have to buy a product? How is that constitutional? They ruled that men can marry men and women can marry women and that businesses have to work with these people if they want to. How can they do that? You know what? Because our country deserve that and we are going downhill as a people and i believe our government is a perfect reflection of us as a people and if the people don't change it doesn't matter who's in office and even though it's ted cruz that's there so no he would never do that well all they all he would need to take us further down the wrong path is a big crisis all somebody has to do is drop a nuke somewhere in america you know another 9-11 and, you know, it'll, we'll lose more freedom again. We will go farther downhill. It, it doesn't matter who the president is. These people mean nothing. And we do, we get caught up in all these things. And it's like, you know, people haven't realized that, you know, you know what? Bush definitely was not going to be a solution. Bush wasn't the problem. The problem is us as a people. And you know what? As much as people love to hate on Obama, he's not the problem either. It's the people of this country. And who's supposed to be reaching the people of this country? The president? The senators? Or is it God's people? We're supposed to be reaching them. We're supposed to be winning them to Christ. We're supposed to be winning their hearts. But we, do, we, we get caught up in these things. And people don't even know why. I mean, you got Christians running around you know, wearing T-shirts with these people's names on it, you know, wearing buttons with their names on it, and even sometimes bringing them into church. 
and letting these politicians come and speak behind their pulpits. People who are going to turn on them as soon as it's convenient. And they know it. People who probably aren't even saved. All the politicians, especially in the Republican end, act like they're evangelical Christians. I never knew that Donald Trump claimed to be a Christian at all. He was the one I remember saying, you know, he's never asked God for forgiveness. I mean, it's like, well, then how did you become a Christian without asking forgiveness of your sins? I mean, just crazy things. But we get caught up in these things because it's popular. People want they want to play a role in it. They want to have you know a horse in the race, and so they're joining up with these groups. I'm telling you, as much as you know, I might like certain politicians. To when you look at how wicked the Republican Party's got, you got to wonder about somebody that can be a part of an organization like that. Why can't they be independent? Well, because then the Republicans won't help them, right? Well, here's the thing: if they help you then they are going to own you. They are going to control you like we saw in Proverbs. And the truth is, people are just compromising, compromising, getting caught up in these things. We see uh, you know, one of the things that Ted Cruz is big into that just drives me nuts is his support for Israel stuff. And it's like, you know, first of all, he, 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 one of the things he says on his website is how you know the land of Israel, it, you know, it's an eternal. You know, God gave it to him as an eternal gift or eternal covenant. And it's like, okay, well, here's the thing: they lost it for two thousand years. So, if that's an eternal, if that was an eternal covenant that God gave for physical Jews to own the land of Israel and have Jerusalem as their capital, like it says on there. I wonder if he believes you can lose your salvation temporarily too. Don't we? Isn't one of the bases of eternal security the fact that it's eternal? You can't ever lose it. Well, if Jerusalem is to be there, you know, God gave that to them for their land and their capital for all eternity. How come they haven't had it for two thousand years? Maybe it's because it wasn't an eternal covenant, and maybe it was an eternal covenant, except it wasn't with the physical seed of Abraham. It was the seed of promise that comes from that was Jesus Christ that we are all a part of. But and you know, and we know all that stuff here. We've looked at all that. We've read Galatians chapter three and Galatians chapter four. We know those things. We've read Ephesians chapter two. You know, we've read all, all that the Bible has to say about it, but yet most preachers today haven't got a clue what they're talking about in that area. You know why? Because they all just got caught up in a political thing. Support Israel, support Israel, defend Israel. Stand with Israel. And they, they don't even know why. They, they don't even know what they're talking about when they say that. Oh, President Obama. Man, he wouldn't meet with Benjamin Netanyahu. Man, turned his back on Israel like that. Something bad's going to happen to this country. Are you kidding me? Because he didn't meet with Benjamin Netanyahu? Who cares? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's got a lot of problems. I'm not worried about that. I could care less about all the pictures I've seen of Cruz shaking Netanyahu's hand. Friend of Israel. What a wonderful thing. He doesn't even know who Israel is. You know, I mean, and we think this guy's going to solve all our problems in America. And we think he's a you know, champion of the faith. He doesn't even know who Israel is. Think about that. So, but we get caught up in political things. And it gets us in trouble. But look who it is running the show. Kings and presidents are not the ones running the show. God ultimately is running everything. And then, you know who else it is? And I'm going to show you something here too. And I think this is going to help people in some of their prophecy. But it's princes that are running the show. It's princes that are behind everything. What are you, what are you talking about princes? Well, I'm talking angelic and satanic forces. Look at what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says. I'm just going to read a bunch of scriptures to you. Know, uh, it says, Ephesians 2 2, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Mark 3 22, and the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils he cast thee out devils. John 12 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world 
be cast out. John 16.8, And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on Me. Of righteousness because I go to My Father and ye see Me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. John 14.30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Okay, the devil's constantly being referred to as a prince, isn't he? And then Daniel chapter, look at Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, verse 11, and he said unto me, O Daniel, and I showed you all these verses to show you, uh, why I believe what I do about Daniel here. It says, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright for unto thee I am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Did you all see that? I don't believe he was talking about a prince of Persia, a physical man, even though there probably was a man, a leader there in charge. But he's talking about a spiritual prince, I believe. And then he, because here's, do you think any man is a match for Gabriel? Think about that. What what man can do anything to Gabriel? Okay, but another prince was able to withstand him. Another angel, one of the devil's angels, and then he said, "But Michael, the archangel." He came and he helped me, and then they schooled the prince of Persia, and it refers to Michael as a prince too. You see, there's a lot of things that we can look at through history with nations that you realize things haven't been changing much from leader to leader. You know why? Because it's the same princes that are still in charge. See, the reason things aren't changing from president to president like we think they will is because even though it's a different president, it's the same prince that's actually running things. And ultimately, yes, it's God, but if we don't get right as a nation, He will let one of the evil princes get victory and withstand the good princes, you know, like Gabriel or Michael. And we, we see that here in Daniel, verse 20 of chapter 10. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Okay, remember Babylon took over and then you had the Medes and the Persians. And the Persians were the ones in charge then. And then who came after that? The Greece came, right? We're talking about that in Sunday school. And a lot of people believe he's talking about Alexander the Great here, the prince of Grecia. But I don't believe he was talking about Alexander the Great. I think Gabriel could have taken on Alexander the Great. But the prince of Grecia, okay, He's talking. I believe he's talking about another angel here. This is a spiritual battle that's going on. Verse twenty-one. But I will show thee that which is noted in the Scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. Talking about Michael the archangel in Daniel twelve one. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that is found written in the book. And I believe that's talking about the rapture. After the time of trouble, after the tribulation, Michael is going to stand up. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Michael Himself, He's going to stand up during that time. And we are going to be caught up into heaven in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And I believe that's what we're seeing right there in Daniel chapter 12. Okay, and so then, uh, and and just some more examples. Revelation sixteen twelve. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he, uh, and he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Did you all see that? Did you all see what's going to make the armies of the earth all gather together at Armageddon to come at Jerusalem to eventually get their cans kicked by Jesus Christ? 
It was spirits of devils. They got them to do that. It's not going to be whoever the leaders are at that time. It's the spirits of devils. They are the ones that are influencing these people. And I'm telling you right now, I think most of our politicians are demon-possessed. I really do. they got spirits of devils working in them. I have no doubt about that in my mind. We see that they are the ones in charge. And we don't have time to go into all the verses of it. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38. and Because this, this explains why so many people are wrong when it comes to the battle of Gog and Magog. you got all your prophecy preachers going around saying this battle of Gog and Magog, it's gearing up. It could happen any day now. I mean, this is something we're probably going to see before the rapture where Russia and all these nations and Iran are going to join together and they are going to come against Israel and God is going to miraculously defeat them. And uh, I sounded like John Hagee. That was pretty good, wasn't it? I didn't, I didn't know I could do that. That just came out right there. But... Uh, <laughs> They're, they're going to they're gonna come against Israel. God's going to defeat them. And Here's the thing. Gog and Magog does not happen until after the millennium. Oh, but no, it's, it's got to be about now. This can happen at any time. And I'm going to show you why people think that. Look at Ezekiel 38, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Mesech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, chief prince of Mesech and Tubal. And Gog and Magog is Russia. What we know is Russia today. And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Iran, Ethiopia, and Libya. We've all been hearing about Libya, haven't we? You all hear about them in the news. And with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, and the house of Togramah, and the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself thou and all thy company that there are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. And many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. We can see right now where all of these very nations that are being spoken of right here are all coming against Israel. They're all aligning against Israel, and they are going to attack Israel any time right before the rapture comes, or maybe right after the rapture comes. And this doesn't happen for over a thousand years. But no, it's got to be about to happen. We're seeing it about to happen right now. There's a reason for that. Okay, Look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to show, I want to show you this to just prove to you this is after the millennium. I don't, I don't know why they haven't figured this out. Well, there's going to be two Gog and Magog battles. There's going to be one before the tribulation and one after the millennium. No. Uh, verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired... Okay? What does expired mean? It means... After it's done, right? Okay. After, after Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them, to get them together to the battle of the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Okay? Now notice something here. Satan is let out of his prison. And I think it's safe to say the Bible doesn't specify it one way or the other, but I think it's safe to say that the devil is not the only one that comes out. I think he probably brings his princes with him. And guess where they all go? Right back where they were before they got thrown into the pit. As soon as they get out, they're going to go right back to doing what they were before. And the people that are in charge right now are still on earth. During the millennium, they're going to be in the pit And then as soon as God lets them out for a little season, they're going to go right back to where they were before. And so it's not going to... Because the truth is, it's going to look exactly like it does now with uh, Putin. Alright? Well, it's Putin, but it's not going to be Putin there a thousand years from now, is it? But it's going to be the same prince. The one that's pulling Putin's strings, he will be there putting whoever... you You know, pulling the strings of whoever is in charge then. And look how God destroyed them Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Now, that didn't happen a whole lot in the Bible, did it? That's a pretty rare occurrence where fire comes down and destroys people. We have like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it's a pretty rare thing. And look at Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 22. 
It says, And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon many people that are with him and overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Did you all see that? In the Gog and Magog battle in Ezekiel, God destroys them with fire, right? He rains fire on them. In the Gog and Magog battle in Revelation that happens after the thousand years, God rains fire and brimstone on them. He devours them with fire. Same battle. The reason people have gotten it wrong is because what happens at the end of the thousand years is very looks very similar to what's going on right now. And it's because the exact same ones who are in charge now will be in charge then. Even though it will not be the same people because it's not the people, it's the princes. You see, we... The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against flesh and blood all the time, don't we? We want to fight Hillary, don't we? we got to stop Hillary. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of, of spiritual wickedness in high places. That's who we're really up against. That's who is in charge. And guess what? We are no match for them, are we? But they're no match for God. And so why don't we, instead of getting all caught up in politicians and fighting so hard for these politicians, why don't we start calling on the Lord? Listen, our God is a jealous God. And if He sees us all, oh, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, save us from this country. Ted Cruz, save us from Hillary. How do you think God's going to feel about that? I'll show you. You're going to get Hillary. Well, you know what? I don't want to see that happen because I don't like her. So you know what? I'm, going to, I'm just going to call on the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm not going to obsess about it. I'm not going to get all worried over who, who wins and who loses. These people are nothing. They don't matter. Our nation is nothing. Our nation is less than nothing. It is God who is in control. And if we want something, if we want judgment, if we want fairness, we go to God for that. We don't go to the courts for that and the Supreme Court for that. They've proven that they can't get it right. If we want justice, we go to God for that. He can give it to us. And so when you go to vote this year, if you want to vote, go ahead. Have fun. Just like when you go to a ball game. Pick a team and root for them and have fun when they win and be sad when they lose. Do that when it comes to the election this year. Pick somebody that you like and go ahead and mark their name and hope your vote counts. Okay, But I wouldn't obsess about it too much. I'm not, I'm not going to get too caught. We're not, I'm not going to get a Ted Cruz sign and put it out in the yard here at the church. I'm not even going to put one in my own yard. You know what? I'm going to just admit this to you. I had a George Bush sign in my yard in 04. And, and you know, and you know, one of the reasons I got that George Bush sign in my yard in 04? Because one of my supervisors that I worked with, he was a big, dumb, liberal Democrat, and I couldn't stand him. And we were always arguing politics. And I wanted Bush to win, I think, during that election more so I could rub it in his face. Than because I cared about the country, <laughs> and you know, looking back, I'm like, it didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, we we accomplished nothing. You know, why did I care so much? I was up almost that whole night. I had to go to work early that next day, but I was up almost that whole night waiting for the returns, waiting to find out. I was like, please, please let it be Bush. Please let it be Bush, so I can go rub it in my supervisor's face. And it wasn't. I rubbed it in his face, and and I and I enjoyed it, and uh, got nothing from it. And you know what? It wouldn't have been any different if John Kerry would have got it then. And so we just need to, we, we ought to know better as Christians. Why are we getting so consumed with these people? They're nothing. So who should you vote for this year? I don't care. You know what you need to do? You need to, go get, you need to get right with God. We need to start winning people to Christ. We're the ones that are going to make the difference. And it, our politicians aren't going to change a thing. They've proven that. Let's look to God for help. So with that, let's all stand together.